Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Today's episode of the Peter Schiff Show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Apparently, a lot of my listeners have given ExpressVPN a try because uh, they decided to extend their contract for the entire year. So they will be a regular advertiser on my podcast. In fact, they're the first sponsor that I have. You know, I end up having to turn down a lot of sponsors, but I like ExpressVPN. And so I was able to uh, accept their offer. So I definitely want to thank ExpressVPN for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. You probably don't think much about internet privacy on your own home network. ExpressVPN will secure your privacy and protect your information. Visit expressvpn.com gold and get an extra free three months on a one-year subscription. So that's expressvpn.com forward slash gold and you get an extra three months when you sign up for a year subscription. Good deal. All the U.S. stock market indexes finished in the red today, even the high-flying NASDAQ, which made another all-time record high this morning of 10,518 spot 98, finished the day with a decline of 89.76 points, down about 86 uh, basis points, just under 1%. Uh, but the other indexes fared worse on the day. The Dow was down about 1.5%. Russell 2000 uh, down almost 1.9%. Again, the weakest uh, stocks remain the financials. That regional bank index that I keep talking about was down about 3.5% on the day. In fact, this index was much lower on the day when many of the other indexes were still in positive territory. Uh, But it kept weighing on the market. And the indexes uh, all finished right near the lows of the day. So very weak technical day. We'll see if we get some follow through going into tomorrow. You know, there's been a lot of bad news, a lot of bad news over the weekend that the markets ignored on Monday. We had a nice strong rally across the board in stocks on Monday, despite the fact that you have all these areas of the country 
that are re-shutting down. They've abandoned their plans to reopen their economy and they're closing down restaurants, bars, businesses because COVID is coming back stronger than anybody thought, right? This is like a worst case scenario for all the V-shaped recovery guys that, uh, you know, the, the virus is coming back. Yet despite all this evidence that it is coming back and that the reopening is not going smoothly, you still saw a strong day in the market in stocks on Monday. And again, even today with the NASDAQ making new highs and some of the high flyers continued, uh, Tesla managed a positive close on the day, way off the highs, but still a record close for a Tesla. Amazon made a new record high again today, but managed to close down on the day. Netflix, another stock that made a new record high earlier in the morning, closing out the day with modest losses. But obviously, I've been saying on this podcast that I think the market is setting itself up for another decline, uh, a substantial decline, not an insignificant one. And I think the weakness in the financials is really telling the story that the NASDAQ isn't telling, especially when you realize that the gains in the NASDAQ are highly concentrated into just a handful of names, including uh, the ones that I, that I just mentioned. You know, it's interesting because the reason the financials are so weak is because none of these banks are momentum stocks, right? People are not buying them based on, you know, a story or based on momentum, right? They're really looking at the fundamentals. They're evaluating these businesses and deciding whether or not it makes sense to own them, right? Whether or not the current valuation is a buy, you know, or a sell relative to the expectation of future earnings. And that's why these stocks are so weak because when you do a fundamental analysis on a bank, I mean, it's horrific. The fundamentals are terrible. I mean, for the reasons that I've been discussing, they've made a lot of loans that are going to go bad, right? So they're not going to get money back. So they're going to have big losses. The collateral behind those loans is losing value. And, um, you know, interest rates are at zero, right? So how do they make any money in this zero rate, negative rate environment? Even if they make new loans, there's no money in it for them. Now, the banks would be in even worse shape if rates went up because that would put even more pressure on their uh, existing loans and even more downward pressure on the collateral. But either way, if rates go up, banks get clobbered. If rates stay at zero, banks get clobbered. And so people, investors, are starting to figure this out. You know, one of the other news stories that really started to come out yesterday was a lot of these colleges and universities started coming out with announcements that not only are they not going to have classes in the fall, they may not even have classes for the entire year. Now, what most of these colleges are going to do is they're offering classes online. So, you know, if you're already attending class, let's say if you're a freshman, you can continue your sophomore year, you just take your classes online. And if you're an incoming uh, freshmen. I mean, some of these schools are having a little bit of an orientation, giving you the option. Maybe you can come in for a little bit, uh, but a lot of the courses are going to be online. Some of the schools have said, look, we're going to have some courses where you can come in, but only until uh, Thanksgiving, and then we're closed for the rest of the year, or it's going to be all online. And some of them are just completely online. But this is more bad news for these banks, because think about all these university towns 
all across the country that count on a crop of uh, college students every year for at least nine months. But obviously, too, some people take summer summer courses. But at least for the nine months, there's this demand. You have 10, 15, 20,000, 30,000 kids coming into a town and renting apartments. Right? And so there is a bunch of landlords that have these apartments that they rent to students every year. Well, these apartments are going to be empty. They're going to get no rent. Well, you know, a lot of these landlords have mortgages to pay. How are they going to pay their mortgage if they're not getting any rent? They're still going to have property taxes to pay. How are they going to pay their property taxes if they don't have any rent? There's still maintenance issues uh, that need to be taken care of. How are they going to take care of that? You know, even if you have rental units in, in a cold climate, you still have to heat those buildings. You just let them freeze and have all kinds of damage. So you got to pay the bill yourself, but you can't pass it on to your tenant. What about all these bars and restaurants that are around college campuses? Nobody's going to be there. Even if, you know, the economy in general reopens, what difference does it make if none of your customers are there? Because when the kids are taking online courses, instead of actually going to the university, they're not going to be there. They don't need the housing. They don't need uh, the meals. They don't need the entertainment. They don't go to the movie theaters. They don't do anything. So all of this economic activity is going to have big effect on the banks. And the banks, you know, this is happening all across the country. So the banks are in a lot of trouble as a business. And so that's why the stocks keep going down, because investors are focused on the fundamentals and the fundamentals stink. But that's not the case with a lot of these high-flying NASDAQ-type stocks. And some of them are not necessarily on the NASDAQ. I mean, Facebook, which also made a new record high today, is uh, you know not a NASDAQ stock, but it is you know social media tech-type company, uh, story stock. Uh, even though there are some bad stories there, people are still ignoring that. And the stock makes a new record high, although, again, it went closed uh, slightly negative on the day. So we'll see again if if these reversals uh, are more significant than just, you know, kind of one day wonders. Um, But the reason that these story momentum type stocks keep going up is because no one cares about the fundamentals. Nobody's doing that kind of analysis. People are ignoring the fundamentals. They're ignoring valuation, which is even more important. I mean, some of these companies the fundamentals have improved. I mean, you can certainly argue that the fundamentals for Netflix are better now that fewer people are actually going to the movies. The fundamentals for Amazon are better now that fewer people are shopping brick and mortar, right? So you can make a case that the fundamentals have improved, but look at the valuations. What you can't do is make a case to defend the valuations, but no one is doing that. Nobody even cares about the valuations. People are buying these stocks simply because they're going up. They're ignoring everything else. And where is the money coming from? The money's coming from the Fed. We've got all this cheap money. We got zero rates. We got quantitative easing. We got the Federal Reserve buying junk bonds. And so it's all that liquidity, which is fueling the bubble and allowing people to ignore any of the fundamental problems because they just have to invest. They have to be long. But what happens is as the number of stocks that are going up continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller because the fundamentals keep crushing a larger and larger percentage of the market, then all the money has to be funneled into a a smaller pool of stock. You get a narrower and narrower breadth of this market, 
And the whole index is basically being driven by a handful of stocks, which is extremely uh, unsustainable because it doesn't take much uh, to break this, right? Something happens, either it's some bad news report that comes out, some bad earnings uh, on one of these names, uh, and they take it out and shoot it, and then everything implodes, right? When you're betting everything on just a few uh, names and something goes wrong in one or two of those names, it's going to take down the entire market because so much of the market is already based on these stocks. But people are ignoring that when you just look at the averages uh, and you just see them making new highs without understanding or appreciating that the average stock is not going up. Right? The average stock is having a lot of trouble. It's just that those problems are being masked by these larger momentum stocks that keep going up no matter how bad the fundamentals may or may not be for the economy or even for their own businesses. Because even if business has gotten better, uh, the prices are way ahead of that. So the stocks have increased by valuations that well exceed what they might gain uh, from uh, you know some change in trends that are driven by uh, COVID-19 and, and, and people staying at home. But of course, what people are missing is longer term negatives for these companies because they all depend on consumer spending. They all depend on ad revenue, which basically depends on consumer spending. And all that consumer spending is eventually going to evaporate, right? And inflation is going to drive consumer prices uh, to the point where Americans can't afford to buy stuff. So long term, a lot of these companies that are temporarily benefiting because consumers are doing more of their spending online are ultimately going to suffer when consumers stop spending at all, whether it's on or offline. They're just not going to be buying stuff because they're not going to be able to afford stuff. And so all these businesses are ultimately going to hit a brick wall and come crashing down. You know, in the meantime, though, while people are chasing these momentum names, right, on the NASDAQ, they continue to ignore the gold stocks. I mean, gold stocks were up today. The GDX was up 2.5% almost. GDXJ, a little over 2.5%. Both of those indexes hit new highs for the year. Gold continues to hit new 85 or so year highs. We're just below 1800 in the spot market. I think I saw us get up to about 1798, 1799 maybe. Uh, the futures have already traded above 1800, but the spot market has not done that. But look, you know, up about another 10 bucks today, up 10 bucks yesterday. We're inching higher and higher, and we keep knocking on the door of 1800. And so far, that door is not opening, right? But the bids keep getting higher and higher and higher. And as I've been saying, this is like a coiled spring. And eventually, we are going to exhaust all the sell orders that are there at around 1800 You know, the only time gold was really above 1800 was just a few weeks, right? And it overlapped a couple of months. But it was really only a few weeks where gold actually traded above this level back in 2011. And so a lot of people are reluctant to just buy these gold stocks or even buy silver, Right, which continues to just lag. It is above $18, but that's nothing uh, compared to where silver has been in the past. Uh, but I think that a lot of investors still don't think gold's going to get through 1800 They just assume, because that was resistance in 2011, that it's still resistance in 2020. Well, a lot has happened in the last nine years. Uh, specifically, a lot of money has been printed in the last nine years. And also, you have to look at the difference between gold at 1800 in 2011 and gold at 1800 today. 
because in 2011, gold had spiked up there. Remember, gold was below 300 in about 2001, and it had this huge rally. And the only real correction it had was in 2008 when everything got killed and gold went, you know, from 1,000 down to about 700, a little bit below, and then immediately spiked right back up and just kept going up and up and up and up steadily until it finally had like a blow-off move uh, up to 1,900. And that was kind of like the end of a 10-year bull market, right? We had a speculative blow-off, and then that was it. And then gold ended up trading sideways for a couple of years, but it never, below 1,800. I mean, it didn't get even back above 1,800. It traded sideways in the 1,600s, 1,700s, something like that. And it didn't really roll over until 2013 when it collapsed and it went all the way back down to, you know, 1,050 by the end of 2015. I think the decline started right in 2014, uh, 2013-2014. But if you compare today to 2011, we have just built a base in gold that really started around mid-2013 and extended all the way until kind of now. Right. I mean, you're talking about a seven year base that we've been building where the bottom of that base was just over a thousand, you know, at the end of 2015. But really, the entire base building process started in 2013. And we've got tremendous support now in the market that has been built off of that base. And I would say that the real support right now in gold is probably about fifteen hundred, even though the bottom of that big saucer is around 1,000, we're not going back down there. We've built such a massive amount of support that I would say there's really not much room for the price of gold to go below 1,500 from where it is now. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. So at 1800 we're only about $300 above that massive seven-year support that's been building in the market, whereas we didn't have that in 2011. You know, You could argue that there was support at 1,000 because that was the high in 2011. And in fact, that support held. We never really got below 1,000. But at 1,900, we had 900 points of downside to get to that $1,000 support. And that support wasn't even that strong. I mean, gold could have gone lower, could have gone to 700 support, retest that, which was the lows from uh, November 2008. So we were way, way above support. And the support wasn't even that strong. Whereas now we're barely above massive support. We have built an incredibly strong foundation from which a massive build market is going to be built on this foundation. And so we're just getting started. So 1900, 1800, and 2020 is not the same thing as in uh, 2011. And of course, The fundamentals are so much better. Not that they weren't good back then. They were. It's just that a lot of people 
temporarily didn't appreciate how good the fundamentals were because they actually believed that the Fed could do the impossible. They thought the Fed was going to be able to uh, normalize interest rates and shrink its balance sheet. Well, now they know better. Now they know those things are never going to happen, except the balance sheet is so much bigger now and is going to be growing so much more rapidly now than anybody thought possible back in 2011. And interest rates are going to stay at zero or even go negative, something which nobody thought was possible back then, and now which the market thinks are probable. And you've got the U.S. government buying junk bonds. I mean, the the, the fundamentals today are just so much better than they were in 2011. And the technicals are so much better and people still don't get that. But I think what it's going to take to really get investors to embrace this bull market and start buying these gold stocks and start buying silver is going to be a decisive move to new highs. I don't know if it's just a break of 1800, 1900, 2000, but we're very close to a very, very big move up. And then once that happens, I think then it's just going to be up, 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 a steady climb as all of the bears throw in the towel and capitulate and start to buy into this bull market that I believe is going to last for years and years and years. Yes, it will eventually end. There'll eventually be a blow off. Who knows how many years into the future that's going to take place. But I think the price is going to be many, many times its current price before that happens. So at this point, you know, just continue to take advantage of the opportunities uh, that the market is giving you because so many people still don't appreciate why gold is going up and why it's going so much higher uh, to buy into, you know, the metal, buy into silver, uh, buy into the gold stocks, either buy into stocks directly, get into my uh, managed accounts, which all of my strategies now incorporate a pretty good allocation to gold and gold stocks. But obviously, my gold uh, separately managed accounts, my gold mutual fund is 100% exposure uh, to gold stocks. And right now, I think a large overweight in that sector. I mean, you've got all these people that are speculating on these high-flying momentum uh, uh, NASDAQ stocks. I mean, if they really want to gamble, why, why, get, why not gamble on gold stocks? It's a much better bet. It's a much better risk-reward proposition. I think the odds of a precipitous decline are very slim compared to the odds of a precipitous decline in the NASDAQ. And I think the upside potential is many, many times greater. I mean, these stocks, the fundamentals are actually improving. Their earnings are actually getting better. So you don't have to ignore the fundamentals to buy gold stocks. If you understand the fundamentals, all you want to do is buy gold stocks. It's the people who don't understand the fundamentals who are not buying them. You know, when you're stuck at home these days in self-quarantine, uh, you probably don't think much about internet privacy on your home network the way you would at your office. You maybe just fire up your incognito mode on your browser and you just assume nobody knows what you're doing. You're wrong about that. Everybody knows. And what you need to do is have real privacy. Even if you clear your browser history, uh, your internet service provider can see everything you do, every site you visited. That's why even when I'm at home, I always want to make sure that I'm browsing with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes sure your ISP can't see what sites you're visiting so they don't have the records. Your internet connection is Rerouted through ExpressVPN's secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of other users. That means everything you do is completely anonymized and can't be traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data with best-in-class encryption so your information is always protected. 
ExpressVPN is the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. It's rated number one by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and more. One of the things that I find personally helpful about ExpressVPN, especially since I spend some time out of the country, I spend time in Puerto Rico, but also when I'm here in Connecticut, sometimes you can't access certain content from certain locations, but then when you're browsing through ExpressVPN, you can fool the content provider so that he doesn't actually know from what location you're browsing and you could gain access to some content that you otherwise might not have been able to access. So protect your online activity today with the VPN that I trust to secure my privacy. Visit my special link at expressvpn.com gold and go get an extra three months free on your one-year subscription. That's expressvpn, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com forward slash gold. Expressvpn.com forward slash gold to learn more. Another thing I want to talk about on today's podcast is the government released a list of all the businesses that got these PPP uh, paycheck protection program loans. And the word loans in parentheses, because they're not really loans, they're gifts. Because if you don't fire your workers, you don't have to get, pay the loan back. You get to keep it. Now, of course, if you go bankrupt, and fire all your workers, then you still don't have to give the money back because your business is out of business and the loans were non-recourse. So you don't have to pay the money back if you go bankrupt. If you stay in business, as long as you didn't fire your workers, you don't have to pay the money back either. And of course, a lot of the businesses are not going to have to fire people, especially those whose uh, uh, workers' jobs were never even in jeopardy in the first place, right? And that was the case with me. I talked about this on the podcast. I was actually surprised by the number of asset management firms. I think there were 600 of them that took bailout money, 600 firms. And many of these firms manage more money than I do. I mean, we manage about a billion dollars, you know, at your Pacific Asset Management. Um, And, you know, these other firms, some of them uh, manage multiples of billions, right? So they have a lot of assets under management. There were hedge funds on this list, right? And they got this uh, this money. My bet is that none of them actually needed the money. If you remember, the reason that I did not apply for the money, because it, just because I'm against the government program doesn't mean I'm not going to take advantage of it, right? I mean, I, I collected unemployment benefits at one time in my life, even though I don't believe in unemployment benefits. I don't think the government should be providing them, but as long as they're making the mistake of doing it and I qualify, I might as well take what I'm qualified for. And that was my initial thinking. If the government is dumb enough to do the PPP and they're going to give away all this money, well, I might as well take my share because otherwise I'm just a sucker. But the reason I didn't get my share is because I did not want to lie. I did not want to commit fraud because I had to certify that the money from the PPP was necessary to maintain the operations of my business, right? And if I didn't get this money, I couldn't maintain the operations of my business and I would have to lay people off. And so by getting the PPP money, I could continue to operate my business and avoid layoffs, right? So I was going to have to certify that, but that wouldn't be true, right? There was really no disruption to my cash flow at all. I mean, there was a little bit of a disruption to the operation of the business because people were working at home as opposed to coming into the office. Uh, But I mean, it didn't disrupt the revenue, 
right? The revenue just comes from my customers. We're billing the customers fees every quarter and we didn't stop billing the customers. So we continue to bill. So that means my revenue kept coming in. And that's the same with every single asset management firm in the country. Everybody had plenty of revenue. I mean, even if you were long only, and of course, some of these firms could have been short. They could have you know, made money in the first quarter when the market tanked. But even if you were long and you had this big drop in um, the, the value of your AUM, your assets under management, all that did was negatively infect your billing for the month of April, where you billed for the second quarter because we bill in advance. So yes, there was a big drop between January and March. So that means asset management companies would not have as much revenue uh, in April as they did in January. Big deal because chances are the bills, the billing that they did for April was probably very similar to what they billed in September the year before. Because remember, the stock market went way up in 2019. So all these asset management firms that are you know, charging a percentage of what they're managing, they saw their income really soar in 2019. Okay, so it pulled back a little bit in 2020. Big deal. That doesn't disrupt your business. You know, we just sent out our billings for this this, uh, third quarter, and we send that billing out in July. We just did it. And our July billing is higher than what I billed in January for Q1 because we have more assets under management now, right? So my firm, I am making more money post-COVID than I was making pre-COVID. And I'm sure that's the case with a lot of other asset management companies. I mean, look at where the NASDAQ is at new highs. The Dow and the S&P, they're not at new highs, but they're not that far below their record highs. I mean, they're higher than they were for most of last year. So all of these managed firms that got bailout money, are making more money now in fees than they made last year. So why do they need the money? They didn't. And of course, you know, these guys aren't living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, none of these firms are operating on a shoestring. I mean, think about that. If you are an asset management company and you're managing hundreds of millions, billions of dollars for other people, if you're so irresponsible that you can't even manage your own business, that you don't even have enough rainy day money to weather a small downturn in your fees for a given month. Look, asset management firms, we were not like restaurants, you know, or or bars or movie theaters. We were not shut down, right? In fact, all of these governments that, you know, were mandating closures, right? They always said, oh, here are the businesses that are essential, right? The essential businesses uh, weren't shut down, like drugstores, supermarkets, and financial firms. That was considered essential. So we didn't get shut down. And of course, most financial firms, like my firm, customers don't show up. We talk over the phone, right? So nobody has to risk COVID-19 to talk on the phone to their financial advisor. Anybody who wants to deposit new money into their account didn't have to visit me in person. They just, you know, do a bank wire, right? Or they FedEx a check, whatever they do. So it was easy for people to add money. We build our customers. We already have the money in the account. I mean, we don't need to physically uh, visit anybody to assess a fee. Um, so the, 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 the cash flow wasn't disrupted. There was no reason for any of these financial services companies to get any money from the government. Now, I can see if you are a restaurant, right, and your restaurant shuts down, 
you have no revenue. You have no customers because your restaurant is closed, but you still have employees now, but you have no money to pay the employees. Those are the companies that were like, okay, I can take this money from the government and I can use this money that the government gave me to pay my employees because I'm not getting any money from my customers. So other than having to pay the employees out of pocket, which I think would have been better, but hey, I can get this money from the government and I can use this government money to pay the employees. But in the financial service industry, we never stop collecting revenue from our customers. Those flows were never disrupted. So we got the money from the customers and we got the money from the government. So it was just a windfall for the financial uh, asset companies. And apparently a lot of these firms had no problem in lying about their financial circumstances. Now I know there's room for interpretation. They could say, well, you know, we didn't really know. Everything was uncertain. We were just trying to play it safe just in case. We had no idea. Maybe the market would have crashed to zero. Maybe all of our clients would have asked for their money back. And so, you know, we took the money just in case. So I think that's all a bunch of BS. But yes, you could try to justify the fact that you thought you were going to need the money, even though you didn't, right? Because none of these firms did need the money because they're all making more money now, basically, than they made before. But that doesn't change the fact that they don't have to repay the loans. Because as long as they didn't fire people that they had no intention of firing anyway, because they had plenty of revenue coming in to pay their salaries, they don't have to repay the loans. And yes, you have to certify that you use the government money to pay your salaries, which you could do. Yes, you use the government money to pay salaries instead of the customer money. The customer money you use to pay yourself. So the owners of the firms get a big bonus because they were able to use the money from the government to pay their payroll instead of the money that they generate in fees uh, from their customers. Now, this is just one of the reasons that I oppose this program. I said this was going to happen. I didn't participate personally, uh, but it happened. And we'll see if there's any kind of backlash. We'll see how many of these firms feel embarrassed or shamed, right, to have accepted the money. And maybe they'll pay it back, right? If they pay it back, it's no big deal. Because all they got was a cheap loan, which, you know, pretty much there's cheap loans all over the place in financial services. Uh, so that's not a big deal. What's the big deal is if they keep the money. But, you know, what really adds insult to injury is the asset managers basically got double bailouts from the government because the Federal Reserve already bailed them out. Right. Because the asset management companies charge a fee based on the value of the assets they're managing. Well, Fed policy sent asset prices soaring. And so when they inflate the value of assets and now you're collecting a fee based on those inflated asset values, then your fees are inflated. So all these management firms that got this government bailout money are already making more money because of Fed policy. Fed policy that is destructive for the economy, that is doing long-term and even short-term economic damage is delivering windfalls to asset managers because now they get to collect inflated fees on inflated asset values. And then they got a second windfall by being able to grab money from the PPP, claiming falsely that they actually needed the money to make their uh, payroll when they didn't need any of it. Also want to talk a little bit about Donald Trump's uh, Mount Rushmore speech on the eve of the 4th of July. It was a kind of late night speech. It started after 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, but obviously uh, earlier where the president uh, was at, at Mount Rushmore. Um, 
But, you know, there was a lot of bad press that Trump got because of this speech. I mean, the left was attacking him about how divisive the speech was. But I got to give Trump props for that speech. I mean, I've been, a, you know, uh, I criticize Trump a lot, uh, but, you know, I'm going to give him some praise when I think he deserves it. And, you know, obviously Trump did some of the things that I hate, right? He talked about how great the economy was uh, before COVID-19 and how great it's going to be next year, right? If he gets elected, it's going it, to bounce back strong. And so, yes, that was typical Trump exaggerating how great the economy was and claiming credit. He's always going to do that. And yes, there were political aspects of this speech, right? And there are people that are criticizing uh, Trump for uh, making this speech political. I mean, how can it not? He's a politician up for re-election. It's an election year. Uh, there's an election in four months or so, and he's way behind in the polls, right? Every speech Trump makes is going to be political, right? So you got to give him that. You know, I mean, if Trump were a Democrat and he were behind in the polls, you know, he'd be doing the same thing. Whenever a politician speaks, I don't care, you know, you know what office they have. When they give a speech, it's political, right? They're political animals. That's it's politics before anything else, unfortunately. But when you actually look at what Donald Trump said, the substance of his speech, he was not trying to divide America. He was actually trying to unite America against a common enemy, right? And yes, that common enemy is domestic. He wasn't trying to unite all Americans. He was trying to unite most Americans to fight against this minority of Americans that is trying to completely change everything about America and completely rewrite American history uh, and, and, you know, he didn't call out the Black Lives Matter by name, but obviously he is referring to this organization and, and, and what they are doing. But what he tried to do is appeal to all Americans to understand and appreciate what it means to be an American. Right? Some of the things that I spoke about on my earlier podcast or the ones that I put up on 4th of July, the, the remix of some of my earlier uh, podcasts from the 4th of July about the American heritage, something that all of us share. I mean, even if all Americans weren't free uh, at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and, you know, there were black Americans that were free. They weren't all slaves. There were some free black men at that time. But even though all blacks were not free, uh, we're all supposedly free now. And we've all supposedly been free since the 13th Amendment in 1865. We've all been free and we've all been able to enjoy the benefits of that freedom. Granted, those freedoms have diminished over time for all of us, white and black alike, particularly in the latter half of the, the, the 20th century and now into the 21st century. But I think a lot of very, very good uh, points were made by the president. It was a very impassioned speech. It was a very well-delivered speech. If you haven't seen it, uh, you should give it a listen. Do I think it's enough to win him the election? No. I mean, I still think that the odds of Trump winning look uh, very, very slim. Uh, but it was a good speech. You know, and, and obviously the media just immediately seized on the fact that he didn't try to embrace and unite uh, Black Lives Matter or all of the protests, uh, you know, against uh, uh, police violence or uh, 
excessive force or systemic discrimination? Because first of all, the systemic discrimination does not even exist. And, you know, I don't even think Black Lives Matter is really about systemic uh, discrimination or even about black lives. I mean, for some people, right, some of the protesters, yes, clearly that that's, you know, it matters to them. Uh, and if the protests focused on police brutality, then I would have some sympathy for the protests, not for the rioting, not for the looting. But look, yes, police brutality is a problem, right? Police are government officials. Whenever you have government officials entrusted with power, they will abuse that power. Not all the policemen abuse it, but certainly some policemen do. And when it does, it is a huge problem. And that problem should be dealt with. It should be dealt with on a state level. It's not a federal problem. The federal government has to worry about the federal police, like the FBI, right? They don't have to worry about cops on the beat in in the cities. The cities and the states should take care of their own problems. But Black Lives Matter is not about that. That is just a smokescreen, right? What they're really about is advancing a Marxist agenda to basically change the entire character of the American economy and, and, and American political structure. And they want to do that by claiming we're a racist nation when we're not and claiming despite no actual statistical evidence that you know you know police are out there gunning down blacks uh, because they're racist and they're trying to use all this as cover to really advance their agenda just like I've inc- accused a lot of environmentalists are really socialists in disguise and they're using the environment to try to push through this socialist legislation that if they were you know upfront about it they wouldn't get the support. But by pretending it has to do with saving the planet and saving the environment, they're able to use that as a way to hide their true intention. And the same thing is going on, I think, with Black Lives Matter. And I think Trump was right to call it out. And it's pointless to try to unite these people because they already have an agenda and they're not going to change their mind. They're not going to be persuaded by anything Donald Trump has to say. Who Donald Trump is talking to are the voters who might not understand this, who might be fooled by this trick, by this PR con job that's going on. And he also doesn't like the way so many businesses are just surrendering, right? Because they're being pressured. They don't have any spine. They don't have any backbone. They're too afraid, right? Because nobody wants to be labeled a racist, which shows you, you know, how little racism there is when the worst thing that anybody uh, it fears is to be thought of as a racist, to be called a racist. And so they're willing to do anything to not be labeled racist. That shows you that we don't have a lot of tolerance in America for racism. It's not this systemic problem uh, that uh, Black Lives Matter is trying to pretend it is so that it can use that as a as as cover uh, to promote the left wing uh, fascist agenda uh, that they that they are promoting. And in fact, Donald Trump got a lot of flack in the media for saying left-wing fascist. They were like, what do you mean left-wing fascist? Fascists are the the alt-right, right? They're far right. How can you talk about left-wing fascism? They thought that was like kind of like a contradiction because they don't understand what fascism is. Fascism is a form of socialism. The Nazi party was the National Socialist German Workers' Party. Nazism is national socialism. Fascism is a form of socialism. Communism is another form of socialism. Both communism and 
fascism are on the same side of the political spectrum. And the way that spectrum is organized today, you would put both of them on the left. Right? They are both status-type philosophies with very strong government and minimal freedom. On the far right is not fascism. It would be anarchy. Right? The far right would be no government at all. The far left would be absolute and total government. And so a communism and fascism, they're right there. They're right near each other. In fact, a lot of people think that uh, fascism is the opposite of communism because the communists and the fascists were such brutal enemies, right? They were fighting against each other. Well, the reason they were fighting against each other was because they had so much in common. It's not because they had so much uh, differences between them. It's because they were so similar, right? It was like rival gangs fighting over occupying the same territory. That's why they were always at each other's throats, because there was very little difference between fascism and communism. And if you really understand the distinction in communism, you actually have the government nationalizing and owning the means of production outright. They seize everything and they own everything. But through fascism, government takes equitable ownership, control of the means of production through high taxation and high regulation and subsidies. So basically what we're doing, right, a lot of the policies that the left is in favor of are actually more uh, fascist type programs than they are communist type programs. But the bottom line is the ideologies are on the same side of the political spectrum and they're on the left. So the president was right to say that they were left wing fascists. In fact, it is redundant because fascists are on the left. It's just that nobody realizes that. So President Trump went out of his way to point it out that when you, you know, you don't go on the political spectrum as you move to the right, right? And you go to less government, you don't go full circle. The spectrum is not a circle where you go right back to total government. You know, you, it, you, you progress from minimal government to absolute government. And if absolute government is the far left, then fascism is in the direction of total government, just like communism. It's not towards freedom. If you go all the way to complete freedom, you don't end up at fascism. I mean, fascism is the antithesis of freedom. No, I still get uh, emails from people who say that I should kind of stay in my lane again and just talk about economics and not really get into uh, the realm of the social issues, the political issues, just stick to economics and the financial markets. But one of the main reasons that I don't do that, apart from the fact that I still want to make my podcast more than just about finance and economics, I do want to broaden it so that I have a, a bigger audience. And, and clearly, you know, if you don't want to listen to the political or the social issues, you know, just don't just fast forward. I mean, it's not that hard to not listen to to my opinions there. But you have to understand how these issues are interrelated, because as I said the agenda of Black Lives Matter being a Marxist, anti-freedom uh, agenda is very negative for the U.S. economy and for the financial markets. If you appreciate uh, what they're trying to achieve, and if even part of their agenda gets enacted into law, this is extremely detrimental to the U.S. economy. It has profound implications for the budget deficits, for economic growth, for inflation. And so this needs to be factored in to the analysis. And the fact that this is happening now, this just adds to the long list of problems that we already had to deal with. And I'm not going to ignore this problem or the potential severity 
uh, of the outcome, how much worse things are going to get to the extent that this is happening. And you have to understand what the political environment is going to be like in a Biden presidency, especially when the odds are overwhelming that Biden is going to be the next president and that the Democrats are going to control both houses of Congress. Biden is going to be beholden to the constituents that helped elect him. And these are radical left wing uh, people. This is like AOC right, and the squad and Black Lives Matter. And so understanding their real agenda and their motivation is important to understanding the policies that are likely to be implemented as a result of their influence and their hold, not only on the Democratic Party, but now their hold on culture, on corporate America, right? And and so this just is another powerful reason to get the hell out of Dodge, another reason to understand that we are in for a world of hurt in this country as we lose freedoms, as businesses become more and more regulated and less and less profitable, and what profits they have are going to get taxed away by a government looking to redistribute everything and realizing that what's happening right now simply makes some ridiculous reparations bill all the more likely. And where is the money going to come from? It's not just going to come from higher taxes on the rich, although we're going to get much higher taxes on the rich, which means a lot of people who were rich won't be rich. And when you tax the rich and you take away uh, their investment capital to start businesses, grow the economy and hire jobs, you get less prosperity, you get fewer uh, goods and services and fewer jobs. So all that is going to happen. But this also means more inflation because it can't be paid for by the rich. It will be paid for by the poor and by the middle class, but not through tax hikes, because these guys don't have the guts to officially raise taxes on the poor and the middle class. So they're going to tax them through inflation. And understanding the severity of the inflation tax is key to understanding why it's so important that everybody who's listening to my podcast protect themselves from that tax. And, you know, recreating their investment portfolio with this in mind, understanding how high the inflation tax is going to be and how large a toll it is going to take on the average American who is not prepared for it.